0: Excited that all of you are here again this morning to celebrate the birth of Christ. And so, officially, we're able to say, Merry Christmas. Yesterday was still a little bit early, but I totally understand it. But today, Merry Christmas. I had an elder that I served with one time that was um, dead set against saying, Merry. Instead, he always said, Blessed Christmas, because it is indeed a happy And that's what Merry means, but he liked to uh, wake us up to that familiar phrase of Merry Christmas and put some more meaning behind it by saying, have a blessed Christmas, which just kind of, anytime I think of Merry Christmas, I always think of Hank, uh, who's now with the Lord serving him in his angelic choir, praising and worshiping him, uh, but I will remember that for a long time. Blessed, happy, glorious day it is to celebrate Christ's birth. Last night, we started part one on understanding the birth of Christ from the gospel of John. And we saw through John chapter 1, verse 1 through 13, this beautiful idea, this, this incredible statement that will run through the entirety of the book of John about Christ overcoming. His light, His truth, His nature overcomes the darkness, overcomes the world overcomes all the promised trials and tribulations that we're all going to face. Christ destroys that, overwhelmingly conquers all of those fears and trials and hardships to make his name known and to make the Father known. And we saw that through those first 13 verses in a beautiful way. And today we're going to look at the rest of that first little section in John chapter 1, verse 14, all the way through verse 18 but we're going to take those first two verses verses 14 and 15 together and see the birth story according to the book of john and how it was noticed in the world according to the book of john so starting in verse 14 of john chapter 1 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us period point exclamation that is the birth story of jesus christ In the other Gospels, we have a lot of information, chapters about that event, but John gets right to the point. He was born of human flesh. He truly was fully God and fully man. At that moment of conception, those two natures were unified forever in that one person, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. And before you say, Tim, that is really hard to understand. How can two become one? How can he be fully God and fully man? If they mixed, wouldn't they like be 50-50? Or wouldn't they just be a mixture now and you don't know what part is God and what part is man? And I will admit, logically and mentally, that is a really tough concept to hold on to. Fully God and fully man. 100% God and 100% man should make 200%, but it doesn't. He is still fully God and fully man. And this is at one of those points where the most intelligent of believers has to submit to the fact we will not always figure out God. We will not always understand the depth and complexity to the nature of God and how he holds that intention and how it can be true. Fully God, fully man, yet one person. He didn't have split personality. He didn't have schizophrenia. He didn't, one time was God and the next moment was uh, was human. He was fully God and fully man at all times when that conception took place. And then his birth is declared in that verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That phrase, dwelt among us, is the word Emmanuel. Emmanuel. He became flesh and dwelt among us. That was one of his titles, one of his names, is that he would be the one who would represent God to us when we had no idea of how do we relate to God. First, he related to us through law, which was given by Christ, and then he related to us through the person of Jesus Christ, where he showed us the fullness of how that law succeeds when someone is perfect, the perfect substitute for us. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You might think at this moment that John is sort of that cliff note version of what Jesus' birth went through. And while the very first chapter of John has one or two sentences devoted to his birth, uh, the rest of the book mainly has to do with the very last week that he spent here on earth with his disciples. So the focus is not so much on his birth, but his death and resurrection. But he talks about his birth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're told in the book of Isaiah that Jesus was not a handsome fellow. He was no one to look at and say, that guy needs to be on the cover of a magazine. He needs to be put into an ad campaign. No one looked at him from the outward appearance and said, now that's a good-looking guy. We should follow him. It says that he had no stately form or majesty. He did not look like the paintings many people have hanging in their homes of this well-proportioned, most of them look like hippie Jesuses. um, and, And I've even seen some that are very white with blonde eyes, and I'm thinking... not a clue. He was not white with blonde eyes or blue eyes. He he would have been exactly as you see any kind of Arab or Jew, exactly like that. Brown-colored skin, dark color tone, dark eyes, dark hair, um, and probably did not look like a hippie from the 70s. Um, But he had no no physical attraction to him that people said, I need to follow him because, wow, he's an up-and-comer and I wanna be like him because he was so just amazing in his physical presence. It was his grace and truth that was noticeable first and foremost and took center stage. It was his character, his nature, the fact that he was righteous and holy. And what a beautiful, small, small little lesson for us in that we spend a lot of time focused on our outward appearances, And if we spent as much time on our inward walking with the Lord and letting people notice that first, instead of what we're wearing or how we're talking or how we're dressed or our latest style or latest fashion, I think that would be walking in the footsteps of Christ, wanting our character to be first and foremost, not our physical presence. Uh, That doesn't mean you shouldn't take showers. It's good that you're all clean and taking showers. Uh, But he was full of grace and truth. That undeserved, unmerited love and favor was coupled with truth, which meant his grace was accurately and perfectly applied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then verse 14 takes us back to the very first section we looked at last night about this guy who is noticing Jesus and making Jesus known. That is John the Baptist. And it says in verse 15, John bore witness about him, John the Baptist, and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, John was born before Jesus, and so what is John saying, John the Baptist, that he was actually before me? He's referring to the fact that Jesus, as the God-man Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. He was around before John was because in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. At the very beginning of time, Jesus was already there because he is fully God. And John acknowledges the fact that the reason why Jesus is superior to him, why his message is superior, his ministry is superior, his character is superior, is because he has always been God. Fully God at all times. And John recognizes and acknowledges that this relationship that John has to pronounce Jesus Christ as a way to salvation pales in comparison to the person himself. The person himself, Jesus Christ, is fully God and fully man, full of grace and truth. And John realizes that the center of John's life must be about declaring Jesus to the world around him. Now, John, we know, had a very special relationship. He was a cousin of Jesus, actually, and John had a very unique opportunity to declare the coming of Christ in a way that is a little bit different for us. When we talk to people about Jesus, we're not declaring his first coming in our message. He already came, but what we do declare is that he's going to come again. And this time when he comes, he's not coming as a helpless babe that has to be nursed by his mom, changed by his dad, and surrounded by filthy animals in a barn. He's coming back as what? A conquering king with vengeance upon his heels to avenge those who have been wronged by the world, to set the world straight, and to judge it fully and completely. continue to sing.
1: To kids around Yeah mm. You who are standing can be seated.
0: Amen. Later on in the book of John, John chapter 14, we have a story where Christ is, he's both correcting and confronting the disciples, but at the same time, comforting them. You know, that kind of pep talk that points out your error, but at the same time, Bounces you up with energy and encouragement to do what is right, and Jesus had a beautiful way of doing that with his disciples. And I'm just going to read a couple verses here in chapter 14. No need to turn there. We're going to go back to chapter one, but this sets the stage for. It sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about in John chapter one. It says, "Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me." This is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas, the famous doubting Thomas, one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, do, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip, one of the other disciples, said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long "'And you still do not know me, Philip? "'Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. "'How can you say, show us the Father? "'Do you not believe that I am the Father "'and the Father is in me? "'The words that I say to you, "'I do not speak of my own authority, "'but of the Father who dwells in me "'and does his work in me. "'Believe me that I am in the Father "'and the Father is in me, "'or else believe on the account of the works themselves.'" Jesus, long after his birth, the incarnation, long after that, describes to his disciples that when you see me, when you see my teaching and my character on display, you are seeing the heavenly Father. And I'm not hiding him from you. I'm not telling you that there's a secret path to God. Look at me. I'm showing you everything you need to know about what the Father is like. Full of grace and truth of grace and truth. And back in John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 and 18, we read the following connection to this. For from his fullness, that is from the fullness of Christ's character and nature, the fullness of his person as fully God and fully man, fully dwelling among us, we have all received grace and upon grace this is john's only way of saying you are so well off in the arms and comfort of a relationship with the father through christ you are so well off it's not just grace undeserved unmerited love and favor it is undeserved love merit and favor on top of undeserved love merit and favor that there is no doubt that our relationship with the father through the son is built on, maintained, sustained, and accomplished by grace. That should immediately take this weight off of our shoulder and we should have this sigh of relief. It's not up to me to make it to the finish line. It's not up to me to make myself perfect. It's not up to me to follow the law perfectly so I don't miss out on heaven or a relationship with the Father. It should take all the pressure off of you that it's not up to your works. It's not up to your diligence. It's not up to your persistence. It's not up to your consistency. It's not up to how much you donate, how you serve, or how you attend. It's not up to you. Our relationship with the Father is based solely on grace, on top of grace undeserved unmerited love and favor and the reason why i say that that is like a weight off your shoulders a sigh of relief a final moment of relaxation is the pressure is off of you someone took the pressure on your behalf someone lived the perfection on your behalf someone obeyed all the law on your behalf someone was righteously perfect on your behalf someone did all the work for you but they counted on your count and who is that person that took all that hard work for you who was that person jesus christ who came in flesh and bore our sins and gives us grace upon grace i i can't think of a better comforting phrase And to know our relationship with God is based upon grace upon grace. That is so full. It's it's full upon full. It's, It's beauty upon beauty. It's goodness upon goodness. It is an absolute overwhelming position that God has placed us in. Grace upon grace. And he continues in verse 17... For the law was given through Moses. Because anytime we talk about grace, we always have this other interjection in Scripture about the law, about the obedience side of be holy for I am holy, this idea of obedience, always connected with it, not because they are contrary or opposite, but the law needs grace, and grace to be seen and realized. We have to know the struggle of obedience and that we can't do it That's what makes grace so beautiful is that we see the struggle, we endure the struggle, and we surrender to Christ saying, I can't do it. And he says, you got it, finally. How many times did I have to give you that law to beat it through your head that you can't do it? Hopefully he has to do that once, but I have a feeling that you're a lot like me, that he has to do it all the time. Because I don't think it's an American thing. Or, you know, our genetics. It's a human thing that we are thick-skulled and very arrogant and prideful of our abilities and our um, outlook. We're very self-confident of that. And the law humbles us greatly because we cannot obey the law. Not in part. We can't obey it. Everything we touch, every action and thought and emotion we have outside of Christ, outside of his grace upon grace, is not just touched by sin. It is sin. At the heart of it, our human nature defiles everything. So we need grace upon grace to have a loving relationship with God as our Father, we as his adopted children. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That connection. In verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, the one true God. Moses saw his backside as he passed through the cleft of the rock before him. He saw just a glimpse of his glory, and it changed him, both physically He was radiant of glory, so to the point that the Israelites, when he came down from the mountain, said, hide yourself from us because your holiness, the holiness reflecting from you, is so great, it's convicting us, and we're scared. So no one has seen God face to face, and the closest was Isaiah, who was translated to heaven in a vision in Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah, how does he respond and react to seeing God on his throne? falls flat on the earth and says woe is me I am undone meaning every fiber of my being has now just been torn apart I am unsafe as a sinner I am unsafe before a holy God and God through the use of his angels reached down and touched his lips with a coal from the burning ember fire before the throne as symbolically cleansing him from sin and giving him the mission of proclaim my grace upon grace. And so Jesus is absolutely, John is absolutely correct in verse 18. No one has seen the Father, the God, only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has made the Father known. So that which is invisible to us, that which is unattainable to us, the presence of God in his throne room one-on-one, Jesus has accomplished that entrance for us. And that's the whole point, if you remember back to the book, of, um, the book of Hebrews, the whole point in that entire book was we have all of these laws that are supposed to bring us before the throne of God, but we can't do it. No matter how diligent we are, no matter how persistent we are, no matter how consistent we are, we won't be able to fulfill the law. And that is why we need a high priest who can do it on our behalf. And no human high priest could do it because they're all sinners. So it had to be someone that came in our place that had the same worth and value of life, human life. Because bulls and goats, all the grain offerings and peace offerings and fruit offerings, all the blood offerings, it couldn't cover our sin. It just gave us an example of what Christ would be doing giving his life. In 2 Corinthians, as we take this home, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, there's a few verses here I want to read. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. If you remember back to last night, this idea that the light came to expose and overcome the world, but the world didn't want to hear about it. The world did not want to accept it. His own people rejected him. And so Paul is saying, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds, had blinded the minds of the unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Seeing Christ is seeing God himself. Because... He is God. And so that leads Paul to proclaim in verse 5 and 6 of that chapter, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is all about revealing the truth of the Father and the truth of ourselves. He's all about showing us God's glory. He is all about establishing grace upon grace so that we might proclaim His glory, that we might reflect His glory, that we might submit the beauty of His glory. Amen? Amen.